I'm right and you're wrong. Once you start labeling people, categorizing of humans and ideas, you have desensitized yourself to the humanity of that other human being, to who they really are. And in the marketplace of ideas, these things are complicated, man. We all need to engage with a variety of viewpoints. A genuine multicultural connection with another. I mean, sometimes you don't need to agree or disagree. You just need to sit with it and digest. Welcome back to Ideas Digest. I should say hello first. Hello and then welcome back to Ideas Digest, the podcast where we explore the ideas that divide us in order to find the humanity that I believe connects us. My name's Conrad, and if you're new to the show, if you're a new friend of the show, welcome. You're very welcome to be here, but welcome, but is how I will welcome you. Welcome, but I've got to warn you, this show is about understanding and not about agreement. Weird, weird kind of concept. Don't we just listen to things we agree with, Conrad? Well, not today. Well, maybe not today. Uh, You're not entering an echo chamber. It turns out that it's far more difficult to listen to people that you disagree with than those you might agree with, at least for me anyway. So, when you're in, when you're listening to someone you don't agree with, I've got to say, it's not very enjoyable. So, if you're not enjoying the show, if you're not enjoying the episode, then on some level, I feel like I'm doing my job. If you're enjoying it too much, I've got to rethink. I've got to really diversify who I'm, who I'm talking to. Uh, so... Feel free to use that as a recommendation when you recommend this podcast. Just say, hey, I've got a podcast you will not enjoy. You should check it out. Um, Go for it. Let's see if that works. Uh, So disclaimer out of the way. Uh, I want to introduce a new friend of the show joining us live here on Instagram Live where we record our podcast live. New friend of the show, Blair. You might have seen Blair uh, on Instagram under her Instagram pseudonym, Talk Purity to Me. Blair, thanks for joining me on Ideas Digest. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, I'm excited. It's it's great to have you here. Now, we've just met um, and uh, I don't know too much about you. And I'd like to, as if we're just like, like some kind of cocktail party mixer, just top line superficial information. Just like, oh, yeah, my name's Conrad. Yeah, I'm Australian. I, I, I live in Australia. Uh, I do some things. Oh, Blair, nice to meet you. How, like, tell me about yourself. <laughs> yeah, I am from the southern United States, grew up here, um, really big part of my life. And I kind of, you know, with this conversation, I kind of describe Christianity as like my heritage. It's where I come from. That's where I grew up, you know, in this culture. So, um, so yeah, I, I'm excited to talk more and maybe disagree (laughs) or maybe agree. We'll see. (laughs) Well, well, who knows? Uh, and like, what do you what do you do for work? You like, you're up Christian. What do you kind of do for work? Uh, I just have a, like a very average office job. <laughs> oh yeah, like from the office. Uh, not quite as zany, but yeah, it's it's pretty. <laughs> it's actually pretty boring. I wish we had some Dwight's or some Michaels around the office, but not. Yeah, quite. I'm sure. You, well, you might. You never know. They're probably <laughs> under a desk or something. And when you're and when you're not. In your office job, what are you kind of doing with your time? I like to hang out with my dogs and watch movies or be outside as the weather's getting nicer here. So, um, yeah, just uh, in these COVID times, I don't have as much exciting stuff going on as mm. maybe, you know, if we had been talking a year and a half ago. But <laughs> <laughs> that's but- that's very true. Uh, I've got to, okay, I'm going to confess something to you, Blair, now. I've... um. 
you know, when we meet people, we just judge them. And I've just judged you. I've, I've, I've heard some surface line information. I'm going to give people a bit more to judge you on in a second. Um, okay. And I've just judged you, but I'm going to be a nice judgmental person and I'm going to confess them to you. I'm going to confess my judgments to you and you can correct me. I'll be like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking this. Um, and then uh, you feel free to correct me because I feel like we all have assumptions. Why not just put them to the person and see if we can correct the record? How's that sound? Yeah. So the clickbait I've got today is purity culture is abuse. I might be hearing some Christians in this echo chamber go, I don't know about this. Uh, But, you know, they're here for the process and and welcome and congratulations for sticking with something you think you might disagree with. So that's that's all part of the journey. So that's part of the clickbait. We've we've got an intro to Blair. I've got some judgments, Blair. I'm going to confess them to you. You said you're from Southern United States. I'm Australian. Boy, I've got some American judgments. You must be. And this is, I say it to every American because it's the stereotype. You've got a gun. You've, you've got more than one gun. You love the Second Amendment. You're, you're a pro-Trumper. I mean, Southern, I could keep going. Is, am I on the right track? Uh, definitely not. <laughs> no, I... Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I don't have a gun. I'm actually really not comfortable with guns being in my home. Um, I don't. I don't judge anyone who feels that that's what they want to do, but you know, it's just not my thing. And I'm actually a very, I, uh, I've spent a lot of time uh, volunteering for the ACLU, which is, if anyone doesn't know, that's the American Civil Liberties Union. And it's very much more so on the side of like progressive change in the United States. So Uh not your average uh, Southerner, probably that most people, that picture you'd have in your head is, not exactly me. <laughs> so, so then the other, then the other stereotype would be you've got to be some West Coast liberal elite. Then you know, bloody liberal. I, I mean, some other Southerners probably think that's true. I mean, I actually, I love being from the South, and there's a lot of things about the South that I really love and identify with. And I grew up in a really small town, and you know, I love that about myself and my upbringing. Um, but there's also things about growing up in the South in, you know, that I, I don't like and I, I want to see change because I love the South so much and because I feel so, you know, connected to it. And it's so imp- it's such an important part of my identity where I come from and I want to see it be better. All right. So you grew up in the South and you said you grew up Christian, but now, you know, given your Instagram and given the clickbait, I'm going to go with, you've got to be now an angry atheist, no longer a Christian. I feel that there's kind of this tug of war between like Christians and atheists and each side wants, you know, people to identify as, you know, one or the other, you know, pick a camp. And I just don't really feel like either label is really, um, it's just not something I align with. Like, I don't, I don't feel, I don't identify as Christian. I don't really identify as an atheist. Um, mm. So I just sort Agnostic of... Agnostic then, if people are throwing labels at you. Which label, which label would you choose for yourself and then define for yourself? I don't think that I've arrived at one. Oh, in transition. Yeah. And, you know... 
maybe I think there is this really strong pull for people to like want to identify as a particular thing and want everyone else to identify as a particular thing because it makes people more comfortable to know like where everyone else stands without having to talk to them. Um, but I just don't really feel like that. I don't feel the need to do that. I don't feel the need to label myself and hopefully other people, you know, are okay with that and mm. won't, you know, pressure me because, you know, I have Christian friends, I have atheist friends and, you know, I hope that no, none of them will, you know, try to force me to be something that I don't feel is right or don't feel represents me. Mm-hmm. As, as Rob Bell said, uh, when I spoke to him, he said, labels are lazy and that's true. But we got to get them out of our system. So you don't, you don't, you're not fitting either box. Some people might that might grate against people. Like, come on, you got to be something. But yeah, you know, all right, um, all right. I've got a few more then, a few more labels, and feel free to wriggle out of the box if if you need. You know these labels that people might be assuming or throwing at you. Yeah. Uh, you were talking about purity culture. Okay, you must be one of these angry feminists. I don't know why they put angry in front of it. I think that's like the sexist, you know, uh, misogynistic <laughs> right. way of saying it. But you like you must be yeah. one of them. People might be throwing that at you. Um, I mean, I do think that there is a level of anger that most people who come out of abusive environments feel as part of healing and recognizing that what happened to you was not your fault and that it wasn't fair what happened to you. So, yeah, I mean, I think that at times definitely I feel anger about what I can only describe as religious abuse. And um, so, yeah, I mean, sometimes, sometimes I'm definitely angry and I do, you know, believe in feminist ideals. So, yeah, if you want to put those together sure you know i i, I do get uh, angry sometimes <laughs> about yeah, you know yeah. it, injustices. i think most people probably do yeah, yeah. so just a justified angry and somewhat feminist yeah i mean i i definitely feel that a lot of you know feminist ideals yeah like i i want to be you know in a world that is more equitable and I want that for yeah. my nieces and nephews and cousins. I want it for everyone. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Last one. When people push against purity culture, some people might be thinking, well, listen, I bet they just want to have like guilt-free sex and follow their feelings. Is that, is that the reason? <laughs> um, Well, I think that wanting to live outside of undue guilt is not a bad reason to leave purity culture. (laughs) Um, So, so yeah, I mean, that's, I think that's part of it. You know, no one should feel guilty for wanting to eat. No one should feel guilty for wanting to breathe freely. And no one should feel guilty for wanting to have sex either, because that's, you know, a normal human function. Most people in their life at some point will have sex, not everyone, but most people will. And no one should feel bad for, you know, wanting that education about their bodies and sex because it is just a 
a normal human thing that our bodies can do. Mm, I like this reframing that you're doing with the labels. It's it's the same label, but with a reframe, it, with context, things are a little bit different. Blair, what have like what are some assumptions that I, I think you may have come across? Have I hit on some common ones, or are there some other ones that you get often that I've missed? Totally, yeah. I think I mean the one about you know anyone who leaves the church or leaves purity culture behind just wants to have sex, and you know. Basically, probably those people are picturing, you know, folks running out to orgies and doing this and that, Mm. which, you know, if that's your thing, that's great. But that's actually, you know, I've never once talked to someone who left their church just for just for wanting to have sex. You know, it's it's always way bigger than that, (laughs) you know, because there's times you leave on the on the leave survey. Uh, for sex (laughs) right because as we know there's people in churches right now who are having sexual relationships that their church wouldn't approve of you know if that was the only reason they probably wouldn't leave you know um but yeah I mean it's it's such it's a much bigger issue and you know a lot of Christians also come to my page assuming that I hate Christians um I actually had a lady a couple of days ago ask me, she just sent me a, qu- a question out of nowhere and just said, wh- or asked me why I made an entire Instagram page to make fun of Christians. And I just told her that it was very obvious she had not looked at any of my content and if that she, if she wanted to look at it and, you know, not just make a bunch of assumptions about me off the bat that I would engage with her, but I... You know, it was clear that she didn't take any time to actually look at what I do and what my message actually mm-hmm. is. And to and to those that um, might have that assumption, what I guess is the context when they go like, "Why are you just making fun of Christians?" If you look at your Instagram, it's like memes speaking mainly about purity culture and the harm it causes, and and like they're kind of funny jabs at i think i watched one and some someone saying let's let's put the x back into sex and you're like mm, like i don't know and you're saying, oh, <laughs> sex is fine i can't remember exactly what it was but yeah, stuff yeah. like that mm-hmm. um i mean i think when people say things like that it just shows me that to those christians the shame and guilt around sex that that they feel that they've internalized is inextricably linked with their idea about their own faith. They they can't separate ideas of guilt and shame and their their religion. And so when you attack the guilt and shame, they feel that you are attacking their religion. And that says a lot more about to me that just says a lot more about the faith than what I'm doing, because I'm not attacking, you know, Christians, I I don't advocate for people to, you know, abolish religion or anything like that. I just want to see people live free from shame around sex. I mean, that's actually the my bio that's in my bio and my bio hasn't changed from day one, I've never shifted from what I set out to do, which is to help people unlearn the shame of you know, purity culture mm-hmm. that we were all given. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I and I think in answering this next question, you'll answer, I guess, 
the follow up question, which which is like, what what are people missing? You know, when people come to your page and they go, "Oh, you're making fun of Christians." Yeah, like I, I can see how it can be interpreted like that. And so I guess to answer that question, when you come when we come to the clickbait, like purity culture is abuse. Where do you want to start with that? Where would you start with that idea? Like to flesh it out. Maybe it's out of context. Maybe it's in context. Where where would you start with that? Well, I think that it's it's important to understand how ideas of religion in general um, can be very harmful to children, and there's a lot of um, there's a lot of things about purity culture that are abusive themselves, and they also perpetuate systems of abuse that are, you know, sheltered by the ideas of purity culture. Um, you know, I think we look at things like the church Two movement, you know, where people are now speaking out against sexual abuse and exploitation and things like that within the church that have gone hidden for so long. And I think it's, it's, a lot more difficult to identify these things within churches because, you know, in, in normal circumstances, you know, these sexual abuse allegations are, are terrible. They're bad enough in like a normal non-religious context. But when you put it in a religious context and the abusers are, men of God and they have divinity on their side, you know, so-called divinity on their side, it makes it so much more nuanced. And, you know, their victims feel that if they call out their abuser and expose their abuser, they are exposing a man of God. You know, they're, they're basically, it's an affront to God themselves, whoever, whoever this is that you're talking about. So it's a much more, it, it's just, a, it's a much more difficult issue when you bring religion into it. And so I think that in, you know, an environment like that, it's just rife with abuse that people feel like they can't question. Mm-hmm. You're talking about this layer of status when when someone is a pastor or when someone has that level of influence but i mean even i guess because the me too movement exposed the abuses of power mm-hmm. and i guess you're talking about pastors are this level of power but it comes through a, a different way like harvey weinstein it came through money and his power over the industry but then with a the pastor they kind of get that um you, they're seen as a man of God or someone close to God. And then they can then say, Oh, this is what God is telling me about you. They get this like level of influence into people's lives. And then you're saying that power has led to a lot of similar abuse, similar to that scene outside the church, almost as if there's probably no difference between the power held within the church and the power held without outside the church. Right. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, with these pastors of, of churches, you've got, the, the status, the power that their money brings, because many pastors are also very wealthy as pastors. And then you've also got the divinity thing. So it's like, there's, 
Like I said, mm. there's just so many layers to this. Layers of power. Layers of power yeah. for sure. And yeah, it's it's a it's a very complex issue that I think I've actually just been recently thinking about how it does feel like things are kind of shifting where people are slowly starting to feel more com- comfortable calling these things out. But, you know, in every scenario where I can think of like a John Christ or a Robbie Zacharias, their victims are, you know, completely harassed and, you know, basically made to feel like they've done something wrong against Christianity. And I mean, that's not, that's not unusual. That's, that's very much in line with how these things go in general outside of the church too. But it's, it's very, it's very upsetting, you know. Is that, is that like an indication of, as the victim might come forward and say this pastor or this uh, CEO or this president has done this to me and then the victim gets the attack and the abuse saying like, what are you doing? Are you making it up? All that kind of stuff. Is this kind of indicating that linked in with these power structures are people attaching to like an icon? They're not so much attached to perhaps the pastor personally themselves, but like you said, why are you attacking the church? Why are you bringing like, it's almost like, the pastor is part of the icon of the church and the symbol of religion. And if you attack the pastor as a person, people seem to internalize that as attacking the structure itself. Is this some intertangled web there? Yeah, I think it is because, you know, religion is such a personal thing for people. And I understand that. And, you know, when, when something that is so important to you, you, you feel like that thing is under attack it feels like you are under attack. And I think it it can, for some people, kind of engage that fight or flight sort of like reflex that you feel like you have to, you know, you have to defend the church or the the pastor, whoever, um, and and kind of set aside logic or like compassion (laughs) for what has you know, the victims of, of these situations, these power structures. Mm. Some people might, might look at all the things you're pointing out and say, yeah, but that's a power problem. That's a people problem. This exists outside the church and in the church. And you're almost, at least the thing you're critiquing is specifically purity culture within religion. Now, (laughs) what would you say to someone? Do you think there's a unique problem? within religious structures that lead to these forms of abuse? Uh, Or do you think it's a large scale problem that just presents itself within religious structures as well as outside of it? I do think that there are things that are unique about purity culture and the way that people are taught to think about sex and act on sexual desires within the church that you don't see outside. I mean, purity culture does show up in other contexts, um, secular, secular contexts, but I do think that there are some unique ways that children are groomed to accept the abuse of purity culture very slowly over time. You know, the basically relinquishing any ideas that 
you have any right to autonomy over your body. Um, I mean, children in, in general are not seen as like full humans. So they're not really looked at as um, deserving of like respect or deserving of, you know, any recognition of their agency. Um, and so there's, I don't know if you've ever seen these illustrations of um, like hierarchy in church submission, like religious submission. So you've got like those umbrellas. Have you ever seen that? No, no. Describe them. Describe it for me. So it's like you've got this kind of chart. And so you've got an, a large umbrella, like for the rain, just a large umbrella that's God, like the top. And then you've got like uh, a husband or a man, and then you've got a wife and then kids. And it goes like all the way down, like this hierarchy. And that is, you know, whether it's explicit or implicit, it is very common. Those ideas in, in a lot of religious circles that, you know, God is directly communing with men and then men communicate, Uh, you know, to their wives and there's these like levels of protection and, um, it, it basically visualization of that structure that that puts on paper, men are above women because they are closer to God. Uh, I see, uh, in the live chat here, treasure every set each second, um, has said, I know many people that have never heard of the term purity culture and still think of virginity as some form of purity. For those that might have be like, yeah, we've heard purity culture. Like it's a pretty common term, um, maybe more common for Americans than Australians. Sure. Like what was the purity culture, I guess, that you grew up in and how would you define it based on your experience with it? Yeah, um, it it was a very... Um evangelical sort of American evangelical set of ideas that placed huge emphasis on virginity, especially for people, you know, that the church perceives as women, um, not having sex until you get married. There was also, I sometimes call it the purity industrial complex, like selling rings, t-shirts. There was, you know, all kinds of events and like merch. all of this like merch. merch around purity, which sounds Damn. probably bananas to a lot of people, but it was a big deal. And there was books and there was songs and, you know, there was just like... Well, you can't blame America for capitalizing on something. Oh my gosh. I know. I <laughs> I don't know if this is like correct to say, but sometimes I just like look around at like, you know, other countries, the way they do things. And then, like, it gets to America, and it becomes, like, a much larger thing. Like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, what? Americans just, like, take something, and they, like, blow it into the stratosphere with, like, just so much more than it ever, like, needed to be. And I think that's true. Your, your trucks are a, are a perfect example. <laughs> we, have, we have some four-wheel drives here, and then you go there, and you're like, that's a big four-wheel drive truck. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, and I live in, I live in the South. So yeah, like if you just drove down a, just a regular street here, you would be amazed. Like I live right next to a car dealership actually. So you would, <laughs> you would probably just like it'd blow your mind. Yeah. 
Yeah. But yeah, and it's, yeah. Sorry, sorry. Keep going. No, it's it's uh, it was very common in like, you know, the the ninety. It 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 goes outside of this time period, but especially kind of like nineties into like early two thousands was probably like the pinnacle of it. It still is very common today, yeah. and it's kind of um transformed a little bit. I think it's still probably as common, but. It has a better, like, graphic design now, <laughs> so right. it's a little so, bit more subtle now, but yeah. So what are those, I get the threads, so it's not as obvious, it's not as overt as like, here's your ring, here's your merch, here's your stuff. What are the central tenants that have kind of carried through? Is it, is it still around virginity being highly valued and mm-hmm. sex before marriage being like, a very bad sin like what what else would you put into that box of purity culture mm-hmm. and then i suppose you've you've outlined why it can lead to these abuses from happening because it within that you're talking about the the patriarchal structure that operates within it yeah just unpack to me for me some of the threads that have pulled through about what are the central tenets of purity culture when you say purity culture you're talking about what Yeah, I think another really big um, idea is not not just the importance of virginity, but it very much ties your virginity and your ability to protect that until you get married to your worth um, as a as a person in general. Um, And so you're more valuable if you're a virgin. Is that the yeah? Mm hmm. And, you know, then outside of that, even like when I was going through it, there was like people who took it to like an even a more, I guess you would say intense level. I don't know where, like I was kind of in this camp of, I always said I didn't even want to kiss until I got married. That's like where I was with it. So it was like a step further than that to say like, no physical basically no physical contact really of any kind and um even like not wanting to um holding hands is that okay you allowed to do uh, some people wouldn't some people wouldn't hold hands and and you you drew the line you said at like even kissing you were like okay i'm not even going to kiss before i get married yeah what was the well, I guess what's the when you, when you were in that, what was the things you valued and and the reasons you had that idea? I was just being told that that was a way that I could please God, um, mm-hmm. and I was I mean I was a child and I really thought like oh okay well if this is a way I can please God then yeah for sure I want to do that like I was very devout. What what was the values that you held as as you were in there like because because i suppose on some level you were buying into it like you were being told these things and you were told that you could please god if you did it what were you hoping to achieve by doing that i really just thought that i could live this as close to perfect life as possible you know i could 
avoid temptation and sin by doing these things um, and have a greater anointing of the Holy Spirit by avoiding these like lusts and sin issues related to sex. Um, And I was being told that, you know, our society is sex crazed, which some people, (laughs) I don't know, I don't really believe that. But like, that was what I was being told. It's like, you know, the way that the church looks at sex is, you know, the superior way and our culture perverts what God intended. And, you know, if you do it God's way, then you'll have this huge payoff when you get married because God's way is the best. And if you want an amazing sex life with your future spouse, then do it God's way and you will, you'll get that reward. It's like kind of the way I think about it now, it's kind of like a sexual prosperity gospel in a way. It's like, do these things, get this reward. And you will be safer if you stay within this box because society has perverted sex. You will have, like, you will be, yeah, more prosperous in your sex life if you adhere to to these principles. Mm-hmm. And I guess for people going, for, for people listening who might be within that worldview going, yeah, like, they might look at, uh, oh, who is it? Is it? Nicki Minaj, is that WAP? Man, I'm so not down with the kids. Oh, it's Cardi like B. They might, Cardi, Cardi B. B, bloody Cardi B. Um, <laughs> they might look at like that video clip and, and say, yeah, like that's pretty sex crazed. It's like the commodification and sexualization of, of lots of things. And they might think, they like they might be within that going, no, I think it is better to kind of protect myself from, from these uh ways of viewing sexuality that could be harmful for myself spiritually or or to keep me safe i guess what would you say to that worldview that might still view it as a helpful protection from um i guess becoming maybe they would say it's like spiritually damaging to have you know multiple sexual partners to you know the porn industry they'd lump it all in together and say if you can avoid that you're avoiding you know, addiction, you're avoiding emotional hurt, you're avoiding all this stuff. Mm-hmm. What would you say to somebody that's kind of in that space going, no, no, I think it is helpful. I guess, why wasn't it helpful for you? Well, I think that, you know, I feel like that was a big question. So I'm trying to, I'm trying <laughs> yeah. to break Start it down. wherever you want. <laughs> I'm trying to break it down a little bit. It wasn't helpful for me because um, I I just had a lot of um, fear about messing up and um, you know mm-hmm. slipping up with when it came to relationships. I really um, a lot of guilt and shame around sex, kind of you know. So basically sex and shame and, you know, negative thoughts kind of became intertwined in my mind because I had never Mm. really heard anything positive being said about sex in any context in or out of the church. Um, Basically, I mean, I went to a public school and even in our public school, 
it was abstinence only. So like from public school, I'm getting abstinence only education. From church, I'm getting definitely abstinence only. And if you have sex, you've messed up, you've sinned, you won't get God's best. Mm-hmm. He, you know, anyone who avoids having sex is like blessed and highly favored. Anyone who messes up is, you know, obviously not. And uh, so it it definitely, there was nothing positive I ever heard about sex. And I, I really think that religion doesn't need to be a part of our understanding about sex. And I know probably religious people won't like me saying that. Um, mm-hmm. But I've, you know, I, I just don't really see a lot of positive things that can come out of it and any any slight positives that might come out of it in the church you can find it outside of the church and like so much better (laughs) Mm -hmm. what Um, made you move from your worldview (laughs) like what ideas did you unpack or accept or change that made you suddenly move from this idea of being in purity culture going okay this is the way i think we interact with sex to i guess now where you're going no i don't i don't think it's helpful at all what what i guess did made you shift your idea with that well i think i slowly just started questioning other tenets of my faith and um started sort of breaking those down um also, Which like, ones were you questioning? I mean, so many things. Like, I so I grew up. Well, I didn't exactly grow up in this environment, but probably from age like thirteen till twenty-two or so, I was in what some might describe as a Christian cult. Um, that looked very like shiny and happy on the outside, but had like very, very fundamental sort of cult tendencies on the inside. Um, that it, there was, there was a lot of, um, teaching around, um, demons and spiritual warfare and the basic idea to give you a sense of it is that I was taught that any ailment, any physical problem that I was having was a direct result of sin. And so... So if you're sick, that's because you did something wrong. Yeah, like anything, like a headache. Oh, flip. um, It could be literally anything. And so, you know, you're... Your any physical ailment you have is a direct result of sin. This would include like disabilities, like ADHD, mm. autism. Um, like I, when I say anything, I mean anything. Um, and so, like if you were having a physical problem, like any malady at all, you were supposed to ask God to reveal to you what kind of sin you had. And then pray and ask for forgiveness. And then you could cast that demon out of you, whatever the demon was. So, like, let's say you were having a headache. Headaches 
they had like a whole list of like what kind of like physical problems were tied to like different things. So like they would always say like commonly headaches are like related to like fear or whatever. So like you would ask for forgiveness for fear and then you would cast the spirit of fear out. And then supposedly you're supposed to be healed. So like wow. It's a that very sounds l- almost like a and and it sounds almost new agey. Like It does, in this, right? In this like, oh, let me get my let me get my malady shot. Oh, <laughs> you've you've severed your whatever vertebrae and can't walk anymore. Oh, mate, you've looked at a lot of porn. You better like I don't like it, that's yeah. yeah, wow. Yeah. Yeah, it uh it was very intense and I really believed this for a, a lot of years and I have um anxiety and have struggled with depression in the past. And so um you know, which we know is not a a sin thing, that's just a a problem that humans but they but they would tell you that you were what that it was like a sin problem and um would encourage me to like read scriptures and pray and ask for faith because if I was like being fearful or anxious about something it meant that that was like a faith problem for me and that if I like allowed God to like if I, if I got to a place where I had faith enough that I wouldn't have um, anxiety problems. And um, I, you know, like I've more recently started like talking about this because I don't even know if I fully like realized it, but I, I definitely was like wanting to end my life at different times. And it was because of this, like because of this teaching that like, you know, I obviously wasn't like measuring up. And I also was like, not encouraged to get the help that I needed back then. Um, You know, professional help, not just like some church ladies telling me to like pray harder. So yeah. So that was kind of like, what started it. And I just sort of like started realizing that I was like very unwell mentally. And it was having like physical manifestations as well. Oddly enough, the stress and anxiety was causing like physical problems for me. Um, so yeah, it just sort of like so. So you occupied this <laughs> this space where you took it seriously. You're in the worldview. You're going to your leaders of their pastors and and godly old ladies and you're saying oh, i've got anxiety and i'm struggling with depression and that and they're going oh well let me pray for you and you know has god revealed you know what your sin is because oh anxiety is not on the sin chart so like can you work with me here what have you you know what's going wrong and it seems to me if that's the worldview then everything's your fault like yeah. it's you've done something wrong and it's almost i mean if it's coming from sin that i mean would they even say because it's like someone might hear that and go, so it's like God is punishing you. But I feel like that worldview would say, no, no, God's not punishing you. That's the cost of it. Is, is that how it would operate? Well, I mean, anxiety was a sin. Like it was a sin to be anxious. Oh, anxiety is a sin. Yeah. Oh, bloody hell. How yeah. do you avoid that one? Yeah. 
So like the verse, like I actually posted about this today because I saw this video of a girl saying like, don't be anxious or stressed. Just like remember this verse, Philippians 4, 6. And that was actually a verse that I was given and like told to memorize that would help me with my anxiety. So it's like one that I still remember and I have memorized. And, um, you know, the verse talks about like, be anxious for nothing. So they look at um, anxiety itself as a sin, as a sin problem, as you know, as you not, you're not tr- trusting God yeah. enough. Yes. Uh, so just stop it. That's, yeah, exactly. I guess that's the answer. Yeah, Blair, just, just trust God. Just stop. That's <laughs> right. it. Wow. Right. Okay. So you're in this worldview. It's your. I guess you're trying. You're going. Okay. I'll, I'll pray. I'll like do what I can. I'll stop like doing whatever sin it might be. I'll re- recite this verse. I'll be like, don't be anxious. Don't be anxious. And it's not working. Mm-hmm. Is that what I guess began to was was those the cracks that appeared as you kept doing it? Things got worse and worse. Yeah. And I guess you almost hit rock rock bottom in a sense and went, this just isn't working. Is that how it unraveled? Yeah, that was definitely a big part of it. And then I started, you know, finding community outside of church spaces and realized that those people I was meeting in, you know, outside of church were very loving and very affirming to me and, you know, not judgmental, which is something I had experienced very commonly in the church. And, you know, basically when you're in the church, you're being told that everyone who's not like in your in-group is bad. And then when you go outside and you realize like, okay, like actually that's not true. That's like one little crack, you know what I mean? And then you start realizing like, oh, these these beliefs are actually really hurting me. And so there's like another another thing you're questioning. And so I sort of started slowly questioning these things. And, you know, I would like let go of one belief and then I would say, well, but I'm still a Christian. Like I still pray. I still read my Bible. I just don't go to church anymore. Like I don't have like a church family anymore, but I'm I'm still a Christian. And then I would start saying like, you know, I don't pray as much anymore, but I'm still a Christian. Like I still listen to worship music. Like I'm still a Christian. Don't worry. Um, Because it was like so tight. I mean, it was just it was my identity. You know, it's hard to. It was hard, obviously, to, like, shift my entire identity of, like, 22 years of my entire life. Everyone I knew, everything I did was related to this identity that I held as a Christian. And so it it was not something I just let go, you know, overnight or without a lot of pain. It was very painful to, like, realize that these things that I thought were so important were really hurting me and I felt I had been lied to on so many levels. So it was definitely not like a decision that I made lightly. Um, But Mm -hmm. I probably wouldn't be here if I had stayed in the church. I probably would have taken my own life. So. Wow. How, how long was that whole process of unpicking, unraveling from one thing to the next to where you are now? I probably started around age like 22 or 23 and I will be 30 in a couple months. So, mm. so yeah. It's not a slow, no. not a slow process at all. 
No, I know a lot of people ask me, they like ask me my story about how I left the church. And it was, I think some people think there's going to be like a story where I had a big epiphany and realized like it wasn't true or I felt it wasn't true or whatever. Mm. That's not me at all. Like I, it was very slow. Mm. The trend seems to be with this, I guess some might call it deconversion is this, you, it, it's this open opening up to other perspectives and maybe some of the cult-like characteristics that you're describing from the community you came from, I, I would hazard a guess that it's very, don't read that author, don't look at those books, they will lead you astray. And, and that fear mechanism that says you can only listen to people within this community, mm-hmm. that fear mechanism keeps you within that. And it sounds like, it sounds like I'm hearing the consistent and slow work of listening to yourself going, I am suffering, I am struggling. And on some level, believing the truth you're being told, well, if God is love and if God can help us, it's like you're looking at your experience going, well, I'm struggling and God doesn't seem to be helping me. And if God is love, then what is this? And then you let go of one more thing and go, okay, well, this has helped me as I let go of this belief and it sounds like when you let go of a few things you then go outside and you find the acceptance of other people and then once you're outside of it you it almost feeds the next step that go you now have a reference point you can go oh that's what i look like from the outside and then it's like that that seems to be the pattern that would that seem that went through your entire one thing to the next thing am i struggling with this what this doesn't seem to be helping me. Why not? And then letting go one by one. Does that sound like the pattern that you went through? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And like, it got to the point where I would be like, um, start getting like really overwhelmed in church settings. And like, um, I had what was probably a panic attack at church one time. And like, I didn't, I mean, I, I didn't know what was happening um and I wasn't encouraged to go talk to anyone so like I don't know for sure if that's what happened but I just got to the point where I couldn't even like emotionally handle being at church anymore um it just something obviously didn't feel right and I just was like way too overwhelmed to be there and that's you know so that was like kind of the catalyst that I was still Mm -hmm. like on the fringes like I would go to church and then I would sometimes like sit in the back and be like if I was like too overwhelmed, I would just leave or something. But yeah. Mm-hmm. And at the top with, with our assumptions, it, uh, it's, it's obviously hard to place yourself within these restrictive di- like dichotomy of two boxes, atheist or Christian. Yeah. Talk to me about where you find yourself now, obviously on like on that continuous journey of unpacking, listening to what grows you, what leads you to more happiness and hope and, love and all those things listening to your story people might be thinking why not be an atheist why not i mean wholesale throw the entire thing in hit like and fit that box easily what makes you i guess look at that atheist box and go ah, it's not me it's it's still not me yeah i mean i think when you grow up in an environment that tells you that everyone is like either or, you know, in group, out group, 
with us or against us, you know, you're either like a friend or an enemy. Um, you know, some people leave the church and they like want to continue that way of thinking. And like, I understand that there's like real psychological reasons why those dichotomies are comfortable for a lot of people. And I won't like, you know, say anything bad about that. But for me, it's like, I spent so many years following these strict rules of like, you're one thing or you're the other thing. Like you're, you know, there's opposing sides of everything. And like, you have to be on one or the other. And I just really have no interest in that um, set of ideas. And like, it's like, you know, I see these, I see different communities saying like, well, you know, just tell me what you are. And it's like, you can't make me like, I can't, you're, you can't make me like define myself in, in terms that don't mean anything to me. Cause like, I, I just, you know, I don't, uh, I just don't find that it's helpful for me or, um, it, it doesn't feel truthful. And I spent a lot of years like defining myself by things that no longer feel valuable to me. And I just don't feel the need to like rush back into that. Mm -hmm. Is there any, I suppose, quote unquote, Christianity left in your idea of the world? Is there still things that you were probably handed that you hang on to or is, is it all kind of, you've revised almost all of it? I think that's, it's hard to say because I'm sure there is like, yeah, I'm sure there is something in me. Um, actually, something that like I really want to do for my community is something that I learned on a mission trip that I went on. Um, and like we would do these little encouragement cards and it was like an, a chance to like write to someone and like encourage them, like take the time to like send them a note and you know you did this like while you're on a mission trip and you know during the service you if someone had an encouragement card that had been like sent to them they would get called up and they would get their card and stuff so like there's little things like that that I like find value in and like the whole idea of um there's like a verse that talks about like um like weeping with those who weep and rejoicing with those who rejoice like I think that's a very beautiful concept like being there for people and like if people are celebrating like celebrate with them like celebrate their victories and like celebrate them as people and if people are um you know mourning like mourn with them just like be with them and you know be there in like whatever space they need you to be so like there are things that I still think about from Christianity that I still find valuable but um yeah like I don't know. It kind of feels like, like I found, I was pulling out my Bible a few months ago to like, I think I was trying to make a TikTok video or something and I was going to use it as a prop basically. <laughs> um, and I like just looked through like everything that I had, like the bookmarks that I had in there and like notes. And it just feels like relics of another time that like, I remember, but it doesn't feel like I feel no emotional connection to it. It just was like a past life almost. It's like a thing that I did that it just doesn't 
have any like emotional meaning for me anymore. Mm. What about this? progressive trajectory that some people find themselves on this idea where they some people might be listening to your religious journey and they and they'd say yeah i mean that is an abusive god that's that's not who god is that's of course you should throw that out it's like the christian that would look at richard dawkins's analysis of christianity or religion and they'd say oh mate i agree with you that's not my god either what would you say to this where do you what do you say to this progressive transition that goes, yeah, there's still a God. It's just not that God. Have you gone down like the progressive rabbit hole where you go, well, I think there might be a God, but he's just completely different. Or you've just gone, you know what? Nah, I, I just don't, I just can't get around it. I personally haven't um, pursued or explored any kind of progressive tradition um, because it's just not, I'm just not interested in it. I just, I left my faith and I didn't look back and I don't, I don't have any interest in progressive Christianity. I have a lot of friends who are progressive Christians and I think they're beautiful people who are, you know, loving and their religion helps them live the best version of themselves. And I think that's wonderful. And I support them in that. And I have no interest in joining them. Um, It's just not, not where I am at. And I don't see myself getting to that point where I I do want to be there. Um, I do think it's like kind of, I see this, like, maybe what I would call like the angry atheist community, like, they sometimes say that like progressive Christians are hypocrites because the fundamental people actually like are interpreting the Bible right. And God is all these. They agree with the fundamentalists. (laughs) They agree with the fundamentalists because they think that like they have the true interpretation of the Bible and they like almost are like alienating progressive Christians. And I just, yeah. And atheist saying to you're not a Christian. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And like, to me, I'm just like, I don't think that is helpful either because it's like if atheists want to like see us all living in a more humanist society, then don't alienate Christians who are trying to live by humanist ideals. I don't I don't see how that makes any sense whatsoever. It actually really bugs me when I see that. I'm like, these are not it's it's again, it's like. This whole idea, you know, a lot of people in their mind, there has to be a hero and there has to be a villain. And it's like they there's just this like false dichotomy that people like want to latch on to. That's it's either this or either that. Yeah. So. Mm. So as you've left, by the sounds of what I'm hearing, as you've left this version of Christianity that you found to be very abusive and personally um, breaking you down to the point where you, you you probably end your life. How has your how has your life and in some ways very obvious gotten better as you've let go of these ideas? How how has how does this new worldview or a lack of that worldview helped you? Well, I think that I I, I have just a much um, greater 
capacity for like compassion towards myself and others, I, you know, I don't feel the need to enforce my own values on others because, you know, contrary to what a lot of Christians would say, I do still have morals and values that guide my life, but I don't feel the need to like impress those on other people like I did when I was a Christian. You know, I, and to me that, you know, when you're, when you're trying to evangelize someone and you're, you know, judging the decisions they're making, you can't really love that person. You can't really love people and also think that they are going to hell. Like, at least I couldn't. <laughs> and so to me, that's obvious, you know, obviously been a, a great change in my life because now I feel like I really can be the things that I was always taught to be, you know, loving and um, caring and compassionate towards myself because um, I was not any of those things towards myself. And then now I can, you know, give that back out in the world as well. And you find the ability now to not have this one-stop shop for every ailment, which was your religion. You have the ability to, an openness to seek professional help in these areas and seek different opinions from a wider community, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, now, um, you know, within Christianity, even like emotions were demonized. Like there was spirits of like anger and jealousy and, you know, all of these like emotions were, um, basically from the devil too, unless it was like directly like something positive towards God. And so, I felt, you know, as like a 25 year old, I was kind of like learning the emotional, like, and basically I was learning about my emotions the way that probably young children like should be, but I was older and I was having to like really wrestle with these things and like not having the vocabulary for any of it. Um, but now I feel like I'm, you know, I, it's, it's hard to describe coming into you know it's almost like a second adolescence like you didn't have the ability to like get to know yourself or like learn about yourself when you were younger and you have to do it now as an adult and also like you have to like pay your bills and like you you can't just like do all this self-exploration like you might be able to do when you're younger and don't have as many responsibilities you have to like do it and also like keep living your life and doing the things you're, you know, holding up your responsibilities. So it was like really interesting, um, but it's, you know, I'm very grateful to now be, you know, feeling like I, I am living the life that is like the most healthy and like my highest good. So, so yeah. It's interesting because you're saying right now that you can lead, you have more compassion, you have, you have more greater capacity for joy and these emotions and all those sorts of things, which is, which would be one of the central claims of the Christian worldview being like, yeah, we, we're called to love others and all those things. And you're essentially saying, as I've left this worldview behind, I now have a greater capacity for the very things I was taught that I should value in the first place is, is what it's sounding like to people 
who would who do who who the obvious Christian response might be, yeah, like how where do your morals come from then? Like how do you determine what's right and what's wrong? And so to be more specific with that question that they might ask, if you're ditching purity culture and let's just say the basic the basics of no sex before marriage, like because purity culture provides this very clear it's drawing lines. It's like, all right, sex is sin, 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 good. Like bang, that line, it like it's it's a clear cut right there. It's like, uh, like, and that's probably why people end up going. Well, not even kissing because kissing might lead to touching, might lead to touching certain areas. Like, well, it like it, it gets grey, and Christians kind of kind of maybe uh, <laughs> like what, what's the word? They kind of play that play that game, being like, well, it wasn't actually sex. It was a, technically, you know, no penetration, so it's not quite exactly it, and so. You know, you play that that lawyer's game, I suppose, that that's what it's called. But it's a clear-cut line. And I wonder if that's why it's so prevalent is because when someone's asking for advice, they're saying, how should I act in a relationship when it comes to sex? And purity culture provides that great line. Don't have sex before marriage. Don't lust. It's like really simple. It just seems really hard to hold that. So how do you, once you've ditched this clear-cut, easy line of a sexual ethic of purity culture, how have you navigated that space as you build your own structures outside of a purity culture? Well, um, you know, I, I think for me, I've just had to kind of figure out what I was comfortable with, what felt like a healthy sexual expression for me. Um, And, you know, every, every decision that I made around sex and abstinence when I was in religion was motivated by fear. And fear is not a great motivator for, you know, these types of things. So it took me years to really let go of the fear that I had about sex and the anxiety that I had about sex. Um, And once I did that and I was able to just think more clearly and like really be honestly a lot more rational about like what I liked, what I didn't like, because, you know, I think that like we were talking about earlier, you know, people in the church who really, are, you know, adhering to purity culture, they think anyone outside is probably like, has no rules or boundaries around sex. And that's really not true. Um, You know, there's, it's just the idea that like, I have certain ideas about how I, I want to express myself sexually and honor my body and honor my partners. And, you know, I, this is where I am comfortable. And also like for the person next to me says, I don't want to have sex till I get married. I also honor that as their autonomous choice to not do that, you know? And I think that it's, it's interesting now being on, you know, this end of the spectrum where, you know, if, if there's a Christian who says I made this choice, uh, you know, of my own will and this is what I want, you know, I think that's great. Like I, I honor their choice to be abstinent, but there's really, 
no, that's that's not returned, of course. You know, Christians don't honor the autonomous choices of other people in most scenarios because they can only think of sex as sin or not sin. So um, moving beyond that, um, you know, idea of sex as sin, it opens up a lot more possibilities of how you think about, like, healthy relationships that I feel honor my body or things that I feel don't honor my body. And like, there's obviously, you know, that's a lot harder to do than having, you know, strict rules that you can follow because you have to get to know yourself. And like, it it can be a lot more difficult to, you know, if you're coming out of purity culture to say, well, I don't even know what I like or want or anything like it's it's not an easy journey to figure that out for some people but it's really beautiful to like sit in those like uncomfortable spaces of like getting to know yourself and figuring out what you want and value when you lose that clear-cut line of what of here is here is what it is and here's the advice and here's what i need to adhere to i wonder if this level of the idolization of rationalism or logic and reason, right? This is what society, if I say, oh, come on, Blair, don't be illogical, right? That's more of an insult. It's like, come on, you, you be using your emotion, like be rational. And if I say the word rational, like atheists use it a lot being like, think rationally, like rationality is the pinnacle of, um, of intelligence, I suppose, is, is mm-hmm. the sub-narrative that goes through, I think both religion and society, um, despite atheists maybe looking at a religious worldview saying that's irrational but i think many christians i know would would say no no it's very rational as well they're both clinging to this idea of rationality and what strikes me in this picture is that rationality appeals to objectivity there's got to be something measurable that everyone can see it's got to be a unified truth and we measure that unified truth by the the participation and acceptance of every everybody else doing the same thing mm-hmm. murder is wrong because everybody agrees on it that's why it's wrong you know you can universally draw that line and say we all agree it's wrong and then we get into these more difficult areas where it's not as clear cut uh, like as murder gee that's a pretty obvious one but there's these more subtle ones and we try mm-hmm. and bring that certainty into it and we try and say okay this needs to be the universal rule for everyone and what i'm hearing you say is saying that universal rule of purity culture caused harm. It, it, it hurt you in ways that you had to journey through and get rid of so that I guess you could thrive in life. Mm-hmm. And when you lose that universal rule, you then go into this subjective, which in society is often looked down upon. You're saying, well, that question I asked is like, how do you determine it? And you're kind of saying, well, it's complicated I need to listen to myself, find out where I'm okay. I need to wrestle with it, ask myself these questions. It's difficult to give that clear-cut answer. And I think people might look down on a lack of a clear-cut line and go, well, it's not Mm -hmm. universal, therefore it's not valid. But what I'm hearing you describe is your willingness to enter into and wrestle with the difficulty and the fact that it will look different for different people. And for you, it's going to be based on your past experiences and, and your life's journey and where you're at and what you value. And so all of those factors are going to lead you to a different conclusion on this question 
of a sexual ethic than it might lead somebody else to. Mm -hmm. And I guess my point of that long rant would be some people might look at that and go, well, it's not a universal rule. It's not clear cut. Uh, It's just relativism. It's just subjective. It's not valued. But it sounds like you're saying this process you have found more growth in listening to yourself, your emotions, where you're at, more connectedness with other people as you wrestle through this using your subjective experience rather than relying on an external rule. What are your, what are your thoughts on that long, long-winded kind of yeah. <laughs> explanation? I mean, I think it's interesting because like even like the first thing that you said, you know, murder is wrong yes but then you have like is self-defense wrong you know (laughs) okay yeah is war wrong like you know there's all these like so there's these ideas that we think are like so clear-cut that like people would have different Mm. definitions of murder people would say well self-defense isn't murder but like is it murder is it not murder like you know Mm. there's like there's a lot of things that i feel like are like even people think are like very clear cut and defined. That's like when you really start thinking about it and breaking it down, it's like, it's actually not as clear cut as you would think. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's right. And even it seems like the courts recognize this because that's why you have a court and they go, your honor, he came at me with a knife. So I pulled my gun and the judge goes and the jury goes, oh yes, I could see the evidence for the gun. Okay. It wasn't murder. It was self-defense. So it's like manslaughter or something else. And even, even courts recognize that you need context, you need background, you need experience, you need like to take all these factors into account before you make a judgment. Mm -hmm. And so it sounds like, yeah, what you've just said that, there perhaps is nothing that is clear cut despite us really wanting it to be clear cut. Yeah. Yeah. And like, you know, there's, there is just so much, you know, I don't, I think I could talk to every single person. I could spend the rest of my life talking to every single person, you know, who defines their, you know, sexuality and more of this like sex positive space and every single person would have a different idea of like, what is a healthy sexual ethic, you know? So, um, I think as on, as long as we're like honoring our, like our bodies and like honoring the autonomy of others, obviously consent, you know, that's a guiding principle. And there's a lot of room for people to determine what is best for them and their partners. And I think that's, Um, I think it's great. I think, you know, it makes a lot of people really uncomfortable because, you know, I, and I understand that discomfort because I also am, I tend to be more of like a black and white, right and wrong thinker. And I think that's why I succeeded so much in religion because I was like primed to just like think about things this way. But the more I move away from that, I like, see the nuance of things and I can like appreciate that other people have other experiences and like I can I can stand by what I value and then like honor the values of others as long as they're not hurting anyone you know what I mean like I can I I just have you know there's just a lot of um you know and I don't have it all figured out I'm not like saying I've arrived or anything like that but 
Um, yeah, I, I, um, I, I was thinking about this too. Like, you know, when you're in religion, you're being told that you're inherently, you know, not worthy of God's love, but he loved you anyway and sent his son. And so it's like you spend so many years not even liking yourself because like, why would you, you know, you're not supposed to like yourself very much. And then you project that onto others and then you judge your decisions, you judge the decisions of others. It's like once you move past that place of judgment, there's just like so much room to like love yourself and then love other people. And like, even if you, you know, just, yeah, it's just, uh, I, I kind of describe it as like, I felt like my whole life was like really small for a really long time. And then like things like really opened up um, and like my world became a lot bigger, which is, it was scary um, because, you know, rules make you feel really safe. Like when you know that you're doing the right thing because this book and these people told you that you're doing the right thing and this is how you're a good person. Like that's really easy and comforting in some ways because like you have the formula. And so like removing the formula for how to be a good person can be really scary. And removing the formula for how to like do sex right can be really scary. But um, yeah, it's, uh, there's a lot more, um, room for, like, emotional growth, I feel like, and just knowing that, like, I kind of, like, think of it as, like, you have your whole life to, you know, grow and evolve, and, like, thank God for that, like, you know, I think it's fun, I think it's funny when, like, people say, like, you've changed as a, like, almost like an insult, or, like, a, they're trying to like put you down by saying like, oh, you've changed so much. It's like, well, I hope so. Like, I hope that I, <laughs> I always am changing because like how boring and silly would it be to never allow yourself to grow? Mm. You, you've left this space of certainty and clear cut rules of, of living and you enter this you know a, as we question i'm like okay what's the alternative then blair like w- w- you must have found something better but what i'm what i'm hearing you say is like yeah i don't know i'm working it out i know that doesn't work i know that led me into a really dark space and now i'm here and it's less dark i'm still unsure of these things but as i notice in this journey when i'm in this working it out kind of space being there it seems to be it's led you to more compassion a space for like you're talking about growth um and being more free to love and judge people less so it sounds like even though you don't have any clear-cut answers anymore and someone's like Blair what should I do you're like well it's going to be a complicated wrestle with the decision as you kind of work it out yourself and I'm going to ask you a lot of questions and we're going to try and navigate that together it sounds like that process can't be entered into when you have those clear-cut judgmental definitions and boxes that you operate within so once you leave that now you're in a space that you can you can kind of grow is what I'm gathering yeah yeah I mean because you know you can't if there's no room to question anything you know Christians will or this is not just Christians but people will say that they're really open-minded and then 
when you like ask them to consider other perspectives, you realize that a lot of people are not really that open-minded. Um, and it's, it's really, um, a defense mechanism because of course everyone thinks that they're right, that they have Mm. the right, you know, perspective Mm. or they're doing the right thing or they have the right way of looking at the world. But, you know, there's, if you, if you can't, if you aren't willing to admit that you could be wrong about something, then there's really no space. Like there's nowhere to go with that. If you can't even conceptualize the idea that you could be wrong. Mm. There's no growth. We want certainty so much. Yeah. There's actually no growth. If you, you, you can't be, have the same ideas at 18 as you do at 80. And, and, and if you do, something's gone terribly wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Blair, thanks so much for sharing just your honest journey, your honest thoughts and, and spending spending so much time with me. Is there anything you might want to add to kind of sum up? Um, oh, gosh. Yeah, I mean, I just think, you know, if if anyone's listening and you think, like, it's too late for you to start figuring out these things about your faith or your worldview or, you know, your your views on sex, if you're like, well, it's too late, I'm already married, or I'm 60, 70 years old, or, you know, whatever it is, you think, like, it's too late for you, it's it's never too late for you to step into, like, the fullness of figuring out what it is that you want for your life, and, like, don't ever limit yourself to, you know, these prescriptions of, like, what your life is supposed to look like, because, you know, yeah, there's just, there's always time to figure it out. And the also, like, the beauty is you don't have to figure everything out right this second. You can, like, give yourself time to to sort through these things because it's, you know, it's not, it's not black and white. And, it, and I think that's, that's great. You know, you get to explore all of these things and, like, give yourself the ability to, like, question and change and be wrong and change your mind again and mm-hmm. mm. well if people want to get in touch with you and reach out to you where can they do that yeah um right here on instagram is where most of my content happens and also i have tiktok so if you are on tiktok you want to um go over there check out my content and I'm also on Clubhouse now, which is a new thing. I always forget to say I I do have Clubhouse, um, so yeah, you could follow me on there. Um, yeah, awesome. Well, I don't have Clubhouse because I've got a bloody Android phone. Oh, and I hate that. Uh, yeah, I hate that. Yeah, it's I'm only just, for iPhone. I'm just left out, and all the iPhone people listening are like sucked in get an iphone i'm like no they're too expensive i never will no Um, i agree Uh, i hate how like exclusive they make it with only having like for iphone i know but now i really desperately want to get on so yeah if so if you're listening to this episode and you're agreeing or disagreeing i don't really care hopefully i've been able to unpack a bit of blair's journey hopefully do you understand is the question And if you don't, then I've missed a question. 
reach out to me. What did I miss? What did you want to find out more about? If you're still listening after an hour and 24 minutes is the clock running, then very well done. It is now your moral obligation and nay duty to uh, rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts. Just only five stars. Anything less, don't bother. Um, if you, you can find us on Instagram. Send us your guest suggestions, idea suggestions at idisdigest at gmail.com and I will catch you all in the next episode. <laughs>